I love the diversity of instruments that are listed in Psalm 150. The psalmist encourages us to worship God with the trumpet, the lute, the harp, the tambourine, the strings, the pipe, and the cymbals. One of the reasons that we want to expand the chancel, and we're going to talk about that uh, during the Sunday school hour, is so that we can have more different instruments on special Sundays here up front. If you'll remember on Easter Sunday, we have the choir up here, and we have an organ console, and we just barely had enough room for uh, four uh, trumpet players. We'd love to have space for even more trumpet players so that we can live out what Psalm 150 is all about. As you look at the list in Psalm 150, we can see that these different instruments uh, have very different uh, sounds. Some are melodious like the harp and the lyre, and some are loud and resounding like the cymbals and the tambourine. Regardless of the sound they make, though, they can all be used to worship God. That's one of the reasons that we are going to try uh, for the next uh, 12 weeks. We're going to have three unique worship styles here at uh, First Presbyterian Church because we believe each instrument can be used in a unique way to help lead people in the worship of Almighty God. So here on, at 8.30 in the sanctuary, we're going to have a guitar like we saw and a bass. And we even got plans to bring in a mandolin and a banjo. And we've got the piano and the wonderful voices of those who want to join the Y'all Come Sing Choir. Like, all you have to do is show up at 8 a.m. and you can be a part of this Y'all Come Sing Choir. And then at 11 o'clock, of course, we have our organ with our, our choir. And we're going to have violins and, and trumpets uh, thrown in there occasionally as well to try to enhance our, our, our worship of God. And then downstairs, we've got the 1105 band with the drums, and they've got an electric guitar, and they've got an acoustic guitar, and they've got a a bass and an electric keyboard, and sometimes they even bring in a banjo. Lots of different instruments that we can use to help bring glory to Almighty God. And we're promoting these three different worship services, these three different styles, because we want to do all that we can to reach as many people as we can with the gospel of Christ. As I talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, or three weeks ago exactly, as we look at the first Corinthians chapter nine, the apostle Paul said that I've become all things to all people so that I might win the more. So we as a church want to do all that we can to reach as many people as we can with the gospel of Christ, recognizing that people have different worship styles, specific preferences. And so we're going to provide all three so that we can invite our friends to come and join us and they won't have an excuse for not coming. <laughs> if they say, well, I like, uh, you know, I don't really like traditional. I don't like contemporary. So we've got gospel. I said, well, I don't like gospel and I don't like contemporary. Well, we got traditional. We have eliminated any excuse a friend might have for not coming here to church. (laughs) Now, did you know that according to uh, Gallup, 75% of Americans in the United States today say that they are Christian. They would identify themselves as Christian. If anything, they would say they're a Christian. Of that same group of people, 40% of those folks say that they attend worship regularly. So 75% of Americans say they're Christian and 40% say they attend worship regularly. However, if you actually look at the worship numbers of churches, at best, 20% of people actually go to worship. So half the people who say they come to worship regularly are lying. (laughs) We like for people to think that I come to worship, right? We'd like to think, yeah, I go to worship. I go to worship regularly. Sure. I mean, yeah, Christmas, Easter, is that regular? I don't know. Um, I think there's a more regular rhythm that God calls us to. Is worship really that important in the life of a disciple? Well, if we look at the Ten Commandments, it's actually the fourth commandment is to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy that one day out of the week we're supposed to rest and to honor God and worship of Almighty God. And as Christians, we've been using Sunday as our day of worship because it was on a Sunday that Jesus rose again from the dead. And so since that first Easter Sunday, Christians have been gathering to worship God ever since. But should worship be restricted to just one hour a week on Sundays? Not according to the Apostle Paul. Please turn to your pew Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. It may be found on page 1250. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And we will see how God has called us to worship Him, not just on Sundays, but every day. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 4. Listen to the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for your written word, inspired by men. I thank you for the Apostle Paul, who exhorts us today to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would guide us this morning, that you might give us understanding of what Paul is saying and how we might apply it today. Oh Lord, may the words of my lips... And the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now that's easier to say than do, isn't it? I I mean, does the Apostle Paul have any idea how busy our lives are today? We have carpool duty, business meetings, business trips, business lunches, soccer practice, soccer games, piano practice, piano recitals, ballet practice, ballet recitals, football practice, football games, Wednesday night dinners, committee meetings, team meetings, breakfast appointments, Bible studies, exercise classes, tea times, hunting trips, PTA meetings, fundraisers, meet the teacher night, parent-teacher conferences, gymnastics practice, gymnastics meets, basketball practice, basketball games, track meets, track... Uh, practices, funerals, weddings, and family vacations. I don't know about you, but I'm so busy, I have a hard time showing here on Sundays, and I'm the preacher. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, Paul tells us. Does Paul have any idea how busy we are in the 21st century today? What about when a job is lost, or a marriage ends, or a loved one dies? Are we supposed to rejoice then? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Does Paul have any idea the kind of financial stress that we're under these days? People have credit card debt, school loans, medical bills, electric bills, gas bills, phone bills, a mortgage payment, a car payment. We have to to save for retirement. We've got college to fund. How can we possibly rejoice in the Lord always when we have so much stress financially, on our time, emotionally? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, Paul tells us. Now notice that in verse 4 of our text this morning, Paul doesn't say, it would be good for you to rejoice in the Lord always. No, Paul makes a command. The word rejoice in the Greek is actually in the imperative. He's not suggesting that we rejoice in the Lord always. Paul is commanding us to rejoice in the Lord always. 
Then he reemphasizes his command by saying, again I say to you, rejoice. Two imperatives, two commands in just one sentence. But how, Paul? How is it possible for us to rejoice in the Lord always when we're under such stress? Does Paul have any idea of the kind of stress that we are under these days? When Paul tells us to to rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. Did Paul rejoice when he was under stress? Actually, he did. If you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, you'll see the story of Paul's first trip to Philippi. While Paul is in Philippi, he is eventually arrested, and he and Silas spend a night in prison, not knowing if their imprisonment will lead to their death. And in Acts 16, verse 25, while Paul and Silas are sitting in a dark, cold cell, In an unknown town to them, we read these words. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas were in a city they didn't know. They were in a prison, not sure if they were ever going to escape. And as Paul and Silas sit in a cold, dark cell that night, Rather than sulking and cursing God, they are praying and singing hymns to God. They are rejoicing. In fact, Paul writes his letter to the church in Philippi while he himself is in prison in Rome. Paul was under great stress in his ministry, was he not? Paul had been imprisoned. Paul had been flogged and beaten. Paul had been stoned and left for dead. But he continued to worship God. How is that possible? In fact, when Paul wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, he knew that his imprisonment in Rome could lead eventually to his death. But he's not afraid. He continues to worship God. Paul knows that the church in Philippi has also begun to face persecution. And so in the midst of their persecution, he offers advice and encouragement and exhortation that seems so counterintuitive to us. He tells them to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. How is it possible to rejoice in the Lord when our lives are filled with such stress and the outside world at times can seem to be attacking us? How are we to rejoice in the Lord in such circumstances? Let's look at verse 5 of our text. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, the Greek word for reasonableness here can also be translated as gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant, having a forbearing spirit, which means to be generous towards others, not insisting on your own way. Paul is telling us that we should rejoice in the Lord, and in his next command, that we should be reasonable, gentle, generous towards others, not insisting on our own way. But how is it possible to act this way when we're under such stress? How is it possible to rejoice and have a gentle spirit when we daily feel the stress of the world? I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed, I become grumpy, not gentle. (laughs) How is it possible to rejoice in the Lord always and maintain a gentle, kind, courteous, and spirit all of the time? Notice the last five words of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. 
The only way we, that we can possibly rejoice in the Lord always and maintain a gentle spirit amidst the trials, tribulation, and stress of this life is to remember that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. When we know that our sovereign God is near, we can find comfort in knowing that our God is always in control, always near when we call upon His name. In his best-selling book, A Grace Disguised, Christian professor Jerry Sitzer tells of the painful grief he experienced when his mother, wife, and youngest daughter were killed by a drunk driver. The grief he experienced was overwhelming. He began to wonder if God existed. As you can imagine, he wondered where God was when the car wreck took the life of his mother, wife, and youngest daughter. Why didn't God, in all his sovereign power, stop this wreck from happening? He began to wonder, how could a God allow such a horrible incident to occur? And he began to wonder, maybe God isn't all-powerful after all, or maybe God isn't that good. Then Dr. Sitzer, in the midst of his grief and doubt, had a very vivid dream one night. He dreamt that he was standing on a hill observing the accident just as it happened. And as the two cars collided, and instantly a bright light shone. And he saw the souls of his mother and his wife and his youngest daughter go into the, the bright light, head to heaven, where they would find peace and comfort and rest. And then he saw how this bright light helped guide him and his other three children out of the wreckage that night. In this dream, Dr. Sitzer realized that God was, in fact, with them in the wreck. And he is with them now. Yes, God is with all of us today. That's the good news of the gospel, is it not? The good news of the gospel is that God loves us too much to abandon us in our sin. Even though we often rebel against God, God has chosen to become one of us. God chose to send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, here to this earth to experience all that this life has, to experience every gambit of emotion that we experience here today, emotions like joy and pain and sorrow. In Jesus Christ, we know that we have a God who is with us. And as the psalmist writes in Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Of course, the psalmist reminds us, as Paul reminds us in our text this morning, that if we want to experience God's presence and the peace that only God can bring, we need to call upon His name. We need to pray. Look at verse 6 of our text in Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice that our prayers to God are not simply prayers of supplication, are they? No, they're prayers of thanksgiving. According to Paul, our prayers shouldn't just be filled with requests, but thanksgiving. But how can we offer prayers of thanksgiving when we feel such stress in this world today? Let's look at verse 8 of our text this morning. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. By meditating on what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise, we are moved to pray and to offer thanksgiving to God. 
In our prayers of thanksgiving to God, we then offer our cares and our concerns to God, knowing that our God and His sovereign power can handle whatever concerns we may bring to Him. Then, and only then, will we have the peace that truly passes all understanding. And we will be able to rejoice in the Lord always. Worship and celebration aren't just for Sunday mornings, are they? According to Paul, we should rejoice in the Lord always because the Lord is near. So every day we should seek to practice the spiritual discipline of celebration, where we joyfully celebrate the goodness of God. In celebration, we are free from anxiety. We give our concerns to God, and we have a joyous, carefree spirit as we celebrate the goodness of God each and every day. Of course, as we look at our text this morning, we can see that celebration, well, it really begins with meditation, doesn't it? As Richard Foster, in his best-selling book, Celebration of Disciplines, talks about in the chapter that's all about celebration, he writes, when we determine to dwell in the good and excellent things in life, we will be so full of those things that they will tend to swallow our problems. The decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. The next time we find ourselves feeling stressed and grumpy, let's take just a moment to focus on what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, what is excellent, and what is worthy of praise. As you meditate on what is good, we will be moved to offer prayers of thanksgiving and supplication to God. As we thank God for what He's done and we offer our cares and concerns to Him. Then through meditation and prayer, we're moved to celebration. So if meditation is the first step to celebration, what should we meditate on exactly? Is there anything or anyone more honorable, more true, more just, more pure, more lovely, more commendable, more excellent and worthy of praise than Jesus our Lord? This summer I shared with some of you who were here uh, the ancient spiritual practice of centering prayer where we simply focus on Jesus by saying the name of Jesus and thinking about all that Jesus has done for us. In centering prayer, if our mind begins to wander away from Jesus, we just breathe in and say the name of Jesus again, and then we refocus our minds on thinking about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. As we think about Jesus, we think about his birth, that while he was God, he he chose to become one of us and was born as a baby in a lowly manger in a town called Bethlehem. We think about uh, the the fact that Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, and then he went into the wilderness for 40 days where he fasted and prayed, and he was able to rebuff the temptations of Satan with the Word of God. As we think about Jesus, we're reminded of the calling of the first disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, when he told them, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. When we think about Jesus, we spend time thinking about all the wonderful miracles he he performed, like turning water into wine. Now, that's a celebration. And then he was able to do some amazing works like calming the, 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 the storm in the midst of a, a terrible, fearful time for his disciples. And how he walked on water and how he was able to feed 5,000 and how he was able to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he gave sight to the blind and he allowed the lame to walk. He says, we think about Jesus, we think about all the miracles he performed. We think about the teachings of Jesus as well. And how he taught us that it's not what we do on the outside, but it's what happens on the inside that really matters. That we've got to humble ourselves and come before the Lord and confess and recognize our need for His grace. As we think about Jesus, we think about not only His miracles and His teaching, but we think about that first Palm Sunday when He came in and people said, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And we think about the fact that that same week, He went into an upper room 
He told his disciples, and he instituted the Lord's first supper, telling them, this is my body given for you, my blood that has been shed for you. Take and eat, take and drink, and remember me. And then we think about when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane that same night, and he prayed, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. As we think about Jesus, we're reminded that he was betrayed by one of his own in Judas, and he was denied by Peter, and yet Jesus continued to love those. Even after being flogged and beaten and crucified, he hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As we think about Jesus, we think about the fact that he's on the cross for all of our sins that day. He suffered and he died and he bled so that we might be reconciled to God once and for all. As we think about Jesus, we think about the cross. More importantly, we think about the resurrection, that on that third day the tomb was empty and the risen Jesus appeared before all of them and told them that he has conquered sin and death on our behalf. And his victory over sin and death is now ours if we'll simply believe in him. Yes, as we think about Jesus, our hearts are turned towards him, and he invites us to come to him. As you read in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As we center our hearts and minds on Jesus, we are able to give thanks to God for Jesus. We're able to give our burdens to Jesus as well. So let's try that this morning. Let's try some centering prayer. What we'll do is we'll close our eyes and we'll open our palms, hands up, so that we might release our concerns to God. And as we breathe in, we'll breathe out and say the name of Jesus. And then we'll think about Jesus. As we meditate on Jesus, if you find your mind distracting, just say the name of Jesus again. And remember all that he has done for you and me today. Let's pray. Jesus. 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 Lord Jesus. As we center our hearts and minds on you today, and we remember all that you have done for us, we give you our thanks, and we give you our burdens, knowing that you have already carried those burdens to the cross on our behalf. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking our burdens, and now, Lord Jesus, we give you our praise, singing Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. 
That song we just sang is called Doxology, which comes from the Greek word doxa, which means glory. It's the most sung hymn in the English language today. It was written by Thomas Ken in 1695. These song, this song, these words were originally the closing stanzas of three different hymns that he'd written in a private prayer book. It's called A Manual of Prayers for the Use of Scholars of Winchester College. Doxology wasn't originally written as a hymnal for corporate worship on Sundays. It's written as a part of a prayer book for morning and evening prayer for anyone who followed Jesus. It was to be used every day of our lives. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. If we want to experience the peace and the joy that only Jesus can bring, we need to spend time each and every day in meditation, prayer, and celebration. Then we will be able to experience the joy of Jesus Christ. We will have the peace that only Christ brings. And we will have a gentle spirit all of our days. Yes, worship, it's not just for Sunday mornings, is it? How will we worship Jesus each and every day this week? Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the great gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we meditate on Him, we are reminded of His goodness and His grace and His love. Reminded that His love is unconditional and sacrificial, that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. Oh God, we give you thanks for this great gift and we pray that by your spirit you would help us to be ever mindful of your presence knowing that the Lord is near and because you are near we can rejoice. We can rejoice always. Even in the midst of stress, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of sorrow, Lord, we can give our cares and our concerns to you and you will carry them for us so that we might experience your peace. Oh, Lord, by your Spirit, help us take the time we need each and every day this week to meditate on you, to pray to you, and to celebrate you each and every day. Pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.